are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the September 1st, 2023 Friday reading of the Ark Valley Voice News Program. My name is Michelle Wexler. Today, we will be reading the following main articles, Downtown Salida Business Owners, Residents, and Visitors Alarmed and Fed Up After Weekend Incident, written by Stephen Hall. Fire Chief Sets Out the Need for a New Salida Firehouse, written by Community Contributor. Colorado's first-in-the-nation health cost savings program awarded $245 million, written by Jan Wundra. And IRS decision changes 30-year interpretation of Tabor refunds, written by Jan Wundra, and following up with miscellaneous articles. We begin with the first article, Downtown Salida Business Owners, Residents, and Visitors Alarmed and Fed Up After Weekend Incident. This posted by Stephen Hall. On Sunday, August 27th, Danny Taylor, the armed man who has taken to standing on the north side of the intersection of 1st and F Streets in downtown Salida, donned, in addition to an AR-15 pattern assault rifle, a megaphone instead of the upside-down American flag he usually carries. He began broadcasting speech directed at Ark Valley Voice. Law enforcement officials contacted in regard to this incident have dismissed it, claiming Taylor is just exercising his First and Second Amendment rights. But what ensued that afternoon calls into question whether a single individual's right to possess an acknowledged dangerous firearm supersedes the rights of dozens of others who feel threatened by it to both feel safe in their own businesses or travel peacefully through our city free from fear or intimidation. Interviews with local business owners, employees, and visitors suggest they overwhelmingly favor feeling safe and secure, and their primary emotion was fear. In an incident that afternoon, Allison Brown, the owner of the Twitchell Building, located on the northeast corner, was attending a rotary event near the Arkansas River. As she walked back to go to her office, she saw the man standing with his rifle, broadcasting a message directed at Ark Valley Voice, which rents office space in the Twitchell building. Taylor, who was also usually wearing body armor, was the subject of an Ark Valley Voice investigative article the previous week. According to a police body-worn camera, BWC video, Taylor said he was simply reading the AVV article about him and he didn't know the location of Ark Valley Voice offices. However, in the video, AVV sign is clearly visible in the background. Knowing AVV had published a story concerning the armed man and hearing his broadcast made Brown, a former officer in the British Army, pause. I've shot machine guns and military rifles before, said Brown. I know their capabilities, and I did not feel comfortable entering my building with him standing right across the street. 
Brown and the friend with whom she was walking stopped at another business on F Street about a block away from the armed man. Brown called the Salida Police non-emergency number. The initial dispatcher she contacted informed her that they had received many calls about Taylor, but the dispatcher told Brown there was little the police could do because he was harmless and he was exercising his First and Second Amendment rights. Brown said she respected his right to freedom of speech, but felt threatened because of the circumstances and the rifle slung on his chest. She asked if an officer could at least come to stand on the corner until she went into her office, grabbed some items, and then left. A Salida police officer contacted her via phone a short time later. Brown says she was shocked when the officer informed her it is a crime to falsely report an incident to police. I just wanted them to stand there while I went into my office and left. I wasn't planning on being very long, Brown told AVV. When the officer immediately advised Brown of her own potential criminal liability, Brown suggested to the officer that he, the man with the gun, was in fact in violation of another Colorado statute, disorderly conduct. The officer told Brown that they had spoken to the man before and he was only exercising his rights. Brown repeated to the officer that she respected the man's right to free speech and did not want the officer to arrest him, but felt threatened by the gun. The specific Colorado Revised Statutes, CRS, regarding false reporting and disorderly conduct provide an outline. Their respective subparagraphs in question read as follows. CRS 18-8-111, False Reporting to Authorities, A., a person commits false reporting to authorities if one, he or she knowingly, A, causes by any means, including but not limited to activation, a false alarm of fire or other emergency, or a false emergency exit alarm to sound or to be transmitted to or within an official or volunteer fire department, ambulance service, law enforcement agency, or any other government agency which deals with emergencies involving danger to life or property. Or B, prevents by any means, including but not limited to deactivation, a legitimate fire alarm, emergency exit alarm, or other emergency alarm from sounding or from being transmitted to or within an official or volunteer fire department, ambulance service, law enforcement agency, or any other government agency that deals with emergencies involving danger to life or property. Or two, he or she makes a report or knowingly causes the transmission of a report to law enforcement authorities of a crime or other incident within their official concern when he or she knows that it did not occur. Or three, he or she makes a report or knowingly causes the transmission of a report to law enforcement authorities pretending to furnish information relating to an offense or other incident within their official concern when he or she knows that he or she has no such information or knows that the information is false. Or CRS 18-9-106 Disorderly Conduct 1. A person commits disorderly conduct if he or she intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly, F, 
not being a peace officer, displays a real or simulated firearm, displays any article used or fashioned in a manner to cause a person to reasonably believe that the article is a firearm, or represents verbally or otherwise that he or she is armed with a firearm in a public place in a manner calculated to alarm and does alarm another person. It is unclear why the officer chose to emphasize the false reporting statute that, based on the available facts, does not apply. AVV also spoke to several witnesses to the incident who either own a business on the corner or were current or former employees of a business in and around the 1st and F Street intersection. All said the man's presence made them, their employees, and their customers feel alarmed and or threatened. None wanted the AR-15 toting man to return. Two business owners said they had each contacted the police at least two times each and received the same response about him exercising his rights. One reported an email group and at least one meeting was organized by downtown businesses in an attempt to figure out what to do with the armed man. One woman, Jen, has been an employee at Ruby Blue's clothing boutique for eight years. She said she has been frightened ever since the man and his friends started showing up on F Street. That gun scares the shit out of me, she told AVV. However, Jen said she lost it one weekend when she saw the men standing next to young children setting up a lemonade stand. She said she approached the same armed man, Taylor, and loudly told him to leave because of how close he was standing to the children. She said the armed man told her, you should be effing scared to walk up to a man with a gun like that. She also said she and the owner had contacted Salida police at least twice and gotten the same First and Second Amendment response. A visitor from Australia standing on F Street during the incident took a picture, commenting, My friends won't believe this. If this happened in Australia, any public display with a gun, you'd be locked up for 10 years. Brown said the incident bothered her so much, she filed a records request on Monday with the Salida Police Department. She requested the officer's body-worn camera BWC video of the incident and received a redacted version of the video on Tuesday. Brown was told that the redaction was due to several children being visible in the video engaging and shaking hands with Taylor. A link to the BWC video is located above. It is hard to discern what Taylor is saying into the megaphone in the BWC video. No business owner interviewed by AVV recalled exactly what Taylor was saying either. As mentioned earlier in the BWC video, Taylor tells the officer he was simply reading the article AVV had written about him and had no idea where Arc Valley Voice office was located, even though the sign can be seen directly behind him. It should be noted that Arc Valley Voice is appreciative of Taylor broadcasting one of our articles, which is intended to spread public awareness of a potentially volatile situation. We also respect his right to freedom of speech. However, we too feel uneasy when an armed, agitated person is using a megaphone directed at us. This is a developing story, and if you have any additional information concerning this incident or the armed individuals, please contact us at arcvalleyvoice at gmail.com. 
Editor's note, Allison Brown's only association with Arc Valley Voice is that AVV is a tenant of her building. Last year, AVV became a 501c3 nonprofit news media and a member of the Institute for Nonprofit News. There are conflicting reports of whether or not that powerful AR-15 assault rifle is loaded or is not loaded. Regardless if that gun is loaded or not, on any given day, those with military and law enforcement backgrounds will repeat this mantra, the four-gun safety rules. One, treat every weapon as if it is loaded. Two, never point a firearm at something you're not willing to destroy. Three, keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target. Four, always be sure of your target and what is in front of and beyond it. That story, entitled Downtown Salida Business Owners, Residents, and Visitors Alarmed and Fed Up After Weekend Incident. That by Stephen Hall. Next up, Fire Chief sets out the need for a new Salida firehouse. This posted by Community Contributor. The city of Salida was formed in 1880. Six months later, the Salida Hose Company No. 1 was created. In 1892, after a second fire destroyed the downtown, business owners pledged money to create a paid fire department, which became the Salida Fire Department. In 1902, the department moved to 124 E Street, which is still our location after 121 years. The 1911 Kissel Fire Truck resides in the original bay that it operated out of from 1912 to 1942. Due to space constraints, this is the only fire truck that is housed in the city's fire department building. South Arkansas Fire Protection District The South Arkansas Fire Protection District was created in 1953. The fire district boundary is a two-mile bubble around the city of Salida and extends east on U.S. 50 to Rincon. In 1980, the district purchased the property located at 120 E Street. This property was formerly a service station and indoor car wash. All the city fire trucks and some of the fire district's fire trucks are housed in this building. Due to the low ceiling heights, our 1997 ladder truck had to be custom-built to fit into the old car wash. We are unable to raise the cabs indoors due to height constraints, so routine maintenance and emergency repairs must be done curbside on a busy city street. We do not have the space to house all the fire apparatus in our current location. Staff are required to travel three miles to a location outside of the city where additional fire apparatus and a hazmat trailer are kept. There is no outdoor space to conduct fire training safely because we are located on a busy downtown corner. In 2021, the fire department completed a three-year staffing plan, which added one firefighter per shift, creating four-person shifts. With this upstaffing, we had to create additional sleeping quarters in a portion of the area that was a designated training room. None of the sleeping areas are gender-specific and offer little privacy. We currently have three bathrooms for up to five firefighters on shift. When returning from a fire, staff must wait for an open shower to clean up. Current firehouse lacks healthy spaces. 
cancer rates have increased in the fire service due to firefighters being exposed to carcinogens and other products produced in fires. We do not have proper decontamination zones in our firehouse to prevent these contaminants from spreading to all areas of the building. Our current gear washing room is in the office space. Our current training room is on the second floor of our firehouse. The training room is not ADA accessible, and there are no public restrooms. Space needs are growing. After serving 18 years mostly as a fire captain in 2012, I was promoted to fire chief. Having first-hand knowledge of the deficiencies with our current firehouse at that time, I knew that at some point we would have to look at building a new facility. In 2014, I was approached by the city administration and asked if a parcel of land that might be coming up for sale would work for a new firehouse. Unfortunately, this land never came up for sale, but the city administration realized there was a need. Beginning in 2017 and until 2020, I began stressing the need for a new firehouse during our annual budget creation and included it in the city's capital improvement plan. On March 9, 2020, the City Council hosted a retreat. At this meeting, during the Council's priorities session, staff were directed to proceed with a facility and needs assessment for the fire department. Due to COVID-19, the request for proposal was not published until August 28, 2020, and a contract for services was not awarded until October 2020. From 2020 to present, we have purchased property, contracted with a design-build firm, held weekly design and systems meetings, tested for geothermal capabilities, received grant funding, and begun the process for issuing Certificates of Participation, COP. A full timeline of steps taken can be found on our City Projects website. Financial Data Careful and Conservative A key element of the city's investigation of the proposed fire station has been to model its short- and longer-term effects on the city's finances in the context of a financial management plan, FMP. The FMP forecasts the city's operating and capital funds, including debt to be issued for the fire station, for the next 10 years. This planning model provides a comprehensive perspective on the city's ability to afford the fire station while also continuing to satisfy its many other needs and priorities. The city and its fiscal consultants developed the FMP using generally conservative estimates of future city revenues, estimating low, and expenses, estimating high, and of future borrowing costs, also estimating high. The model demonstrates that the city can afford to complete and pay for the fire station within this conservative set of assumptions and without cutting back on current operating service and capital improvement levels. The city currently plans to issue debt for the fire station this fall and to repay principal and interest in 2027 through 2051. This 25-year repayment term is shorter than many entities use for fire stations and other major facilities with very long useful lives. In addition, the debt is structured around other high-priority capital investments the city is scheduled to fund with cash in 2024 through 2026, all as part of its multi-year capital improvement plan. 
CIP. New firehouse plan accommodates 21st century use. The new 20,345 square foot firehouse will incorporate apparatus bays that are sized to hold all the current Salida and South Arkansas fire apparatus, including a new Type 3 Wildland engine that is currently being built. The bays will be pull through, which will eliminate the backing of the larger apparatus. Each apparatus will have large aprons to allow staff to safely walk around it without the challenges of conducting work on a busy downtown city street. The proposed ceiling height will finally allow staff to tilt the cabs indoors during inclement weather. The critical need for on-site training will be addressed with a three-story hose training tower that will allow staff to simulate current and future rescue situations. The new facility will also incorporate a 40-person training community room that will be ADA accessible. The living quarters will offer individual sleeping and shower rooms, a commercial-grade kitchen, a laundry room, day room, and a fitness room. Enhanced firefighter safety will be addressed by creating a decontamination space which will protect firefighters from toxic particulates and lower cancer risks by utilizing hot, warm, cold zones within the building to prevent toxins from spreading into the residential space. After over 100 years of service, the city's existing fire station no longer meets the needs of a modern fire department. The new fire station has undergone extensive planning, design, and financial review. The project has been a high-priority topic of city analysis and discussion for a long time. The city's financial management planning model provided a comprehensive perspective on the city's ability to afford the fire station, while also continuing to satisfy its many other needs and priorities. The new fire station aligns with other similar projects around the state as it relates to cost. With all this being said, the new fire station will be a tremendous asset to our community's public safety and the long-term health and viability of our fire department and the men and women who serve it. That by Doug Bess, Salida Fire Chief, Fire Chief South Arkansas Fire Protection District. That story, Fire Chief, sets out the need for a new Salida firehouse. And next up, Colorado's first-in-the-nation health cost savings program awarded $245 million, this posted by Jan Wundra. Biden administration recognizes Colorado optioned and reinsurance programs representing unprecedented savings for Coloradans. The health care options available in Colorado are being recognized as some of the best in the country. Today, the federal government, through the Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Department of the Treasury, is announcing that the Colorado Division of Insurance, DOI, will receive $245 million in pass-through funding for its health insurance programs for 2023. This amount includes funds for the Colorado Reinsurance Program and, for the first time, the Colorado Option Program. While a number of states have reinsurance programs, this is the first time the federal government has provided pass-through funding in recognition of cost savings for a combined program such as Colorado's waiver plan. 
In its decision, the federal government recognized that the impact of Colorado's reinsurance program and the Colorado option was that they reduced premiums for Coloradans in the very first year of operation. Specifically, the impact of the Colorado option was to reduce the second lowest cost silver plans throughout the state by an average of 4.7%. This $245 million in federal funding will directly reduce insurance costs for Coloradans. Saving people money on health care has been a top priority since day one, said Governor Jared Polis. Colorado is now proudly the first state in the nation to receive this federal support for the money-saving Colorado option, which, along with the bipartisan reinsurance program, will further cut health care costs. Yesterday, Lieutenant Governor Diane Primavera, representing Colorado, joined President Biden and Vice President Harris in the East Room of the White House for an announcement of a new effort to lower the cost of prescription drugs and health care costs for seniors. Colorado is a national leader when it comes to saving people money on health care, said Colorado Lieutenant Governor Diane Primavera and Director of the Office of Saving People Money on Health Care. The first year they were available, over 35,000 Coloradans enrolled in Colorado Option Plans and the OmniSalute program and the reinsurance program continues to drive down premiums. And that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us for the Arc Valley Voice News Program. My name is Michelle Wexler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.